She was this gun-toting, whiskey-drinking broad. The super epic fucking broad. She was a pioneer in the industry. She's also so famous and so controversial. So controversial. So she's kind of a big fucking deal. Her story is so incredible. She belongs on this podcast because she's a broad you should know. Hello and welcome to Broads You Should Know, the podcast about amazing and noteworthy women from history. I'm your host, Sarah Gorski, and I am here again with my friend Steve Townsend, master gamer, game creator, writer, photographer. You you really are like the true renaissance man I think of you as, Steve. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, that's my thing. It's my shtick. Steve, for any audience members who didn't get to know you last episode, I have a question for you. Of... The episodes of this podcast you've listened to, which broad is your favorite so far? I love Hatshepsut. Oh, yeah, that was a good episode. I'm super into ancient history. I worked at the OI, like Stuart Studies, uh, Ancient Near Eastern Cultures, and Hatshepsut, when I found out about her, blew my mind. I just love her um, whole... She's like, in a way, I think of her as like the ancient Egyptian Elizabeth. Well, we did an episode about her just a few months ago. My friend Zach Livingston brought her in, and she was so cool. Audience, if you don't remember, she is only the second known female pharaoh of Egypt, and she was a badass. Also erased from history, her (laughs) nephew tried to erase her. (laughs) Ah, it's just the common theme. Well, Steve, I am very excited to have you back because I know of your love of ancient history and badass women. And so I have brought us today an ancient badass woman who you actually, I think, have I'm excited. I'm excited. (laughs) Who's it going to be? Today, we are going to be talking about Tamira's. I got it right. (laughs) You did. Before we hit the play button, Steve was guessing like, who could it be? Who could it be? And the last one he guessed was that, but he couldn't remember her name. And it's Tamira's. (laughs) Yes. You said 500. And I thought, well, yeah. Let's just jump right in. Let's get in our little time machine and let's head back to 6th century BCE. So this is 500 BCE, before before Common Era, we say now. Some people say before Christ. But what the fuck is happening on the world at this time period? So this is the time period when the Roman monarchy has kind of fallen and the republic has risen. So Rome is like kind of a baby republic right now. Buddhism is just beginning in the East. Confucius is in his heyday right now in China. And this is also the time period when we start to see the very first historians. So history, of course, has been around forever since people existed, but mostly before now, it was mainly an oral form. And then around this time period, people are starting to write shit down. And very specific to our broad today, we have Herodotus. He is widely known as the father of history, in quote marks, is what he's known as in in all of our historical documents. And this is because not only was he writing everything down, but he was also like researching it. He was going around and gathering multiple accounts of things that happened and recording it, like very specifically and methodically. And he was kind of like the first, at least the first person we know of and whose work survived that was really doing that. I feel like he's like the Rick Steves of ancient of the ancient world you know, goes around is like <laughs> tell us what you saw and then writing it down yeah exactly and specifically around his neck of the woods you know he was was where he was gathering the most stories so like he was super famous for writing about those greco-persian wars 
And as it turns out in history, as, as historians and archaeologists have improved their methods and gotten better at what they do, it turns out that much of what he's recorded is, is pretty much proven to be accurate. The stuff he wrote down is considered like, okay, he did a really good job for a guy in his time. Um, And he was born around 484. And so likely for this particular history, he's interviewing like the grandkids and great grandkids of the soldiers who were there, which is pretty near, you know, I feel like that's a pretty close as opposed to obviously the best thing would be interviewing people at the actual battle, but their kids and grandkids and all those like that's like the next best thing, right? (laughs) Mm-hmm. So the bulk of this story is going to take place around 530 BCE. And our broad, Tamiris, was queen of the Masagatai. The Masagatai are a nomadic, believed to be Scythian tribe, who were super badass warrior heroes and like horse warriors. Their lands are east of the Caspian Sea in today what's like Turkmenistan, Afghanistan, Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan. There's not an enormous amount in history in general written about the Masagatai. And most of what we know of them comes from Herodotus's writing. So when Herodotus describes them, he says, quote, in their dress and mode of living, the Masagatai resemble the Scythians. They fight on both horseback and on foot. Neither method is strange to them. They use bows and lances, but their favorite weapon is the battle axe. Their arms are either all of gold or brass for their spear points and arrowheads. And for their battle axes, they make use of brass for headgear belts and girdles of gold. So too, with comparison of their horses, they give them breastplates of brass, but employ gold about the reins, the bit, the cheek plates. They use neither iron nor silver, having none of those in their country, but they have brass and gold in abundance. They sow no grain, but live on their herds and on fish, of which there is great aplenty in the Araxis River. Milk is what they chiefly drink. The only god they worship is the sun, and to him they offer the horse in sacrifice, under the notion of giving to the swiftest of the gods the swiftest of all mortal creatures, end quote. So he's describing this, and I'm like, so the Dothraki, right? <laughs> we, we did a, a, a podcast at the Oriental Institute uh, on the Scythians in which we compared them to the Dothraki. It was a whole game of thrones scythian like <laughs> comparison we totally did a podcast on this so i wasn't incorrect when i when i go to immediately to the dothraki so so you're right you're spot on so um in addition though they also have a little bit of a dark side not unlike the dothraki uh so herodotus also describes some of their habits and he says quote human life does not come to its natural close with this people but when a man grows very old all of his kinsfolk collect together and offer him up in sacrifice offering at the same time some cattle. After the sacrifice, they boil the flesh and feast on it, and those who thus end their days are reckoned the happiest. If a man dies of disease, they do not eat him, but bury him in the ground, bewailing his ill fortune that he did not come to be sacrificed, end quote. So cannibalism a little bit. These are the guys that used to drink out of their enemies' skulls. Like, they're yeah, hardcore. They are hard, they are hardcore. I mean, cannibalism just always is a little bit heebie-jeebie for me, but you know, <laughs> I guess they do what they, they got to do. Um, so there's not a lot of information about Tamiris, about her youth, and about actually much of her life uh, until the big crux of this story. But there are a couple little things I was able to kind of scrounge in a couple sources. So uh, Tamiris was the only child of a guy named Sparga Pisces. 
Did I say that right? Do you know, Steve? I'm going to guess that that's going to do for now. Sparga Pisces, who was the leader of all the Mesogate tribes. And at this time, there's, you know, lots of, this is like in the steppes. There's lots of different tribes. And even within the Mesogate tribe, there's like little groups of tribes. But her dad kind of like unites them a bit under his rule. And he's kind of their main leader. And she's raised, just like everyone else is raised, she's raised a fighter and a horsewoman, a horseman. One one of the sources I found said that her name, Tamiris, actually means iron. Hmm. Which is interesting because Herodotus said there was no iron in their country, but maybe they still knew what it was. Or maybe there's some lost in translation. But either way, badass. Her name mm-hmm, means iron. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the tribes of this region and in the world in general, but this region specifically, were kind of constantly fighting amongst themselves and their neighboring tribes. And at one point, her dad's at war with the other tribes of Saka, the tribes of Saka. And he needs some help. And he goes to his ally named Kavad, who is the head of the Saka Tagrahauda clan. And Kavad is really busy fighting his own wars on his own battlefront but he's a good a good ally so he's like okay he goes to his favorite son rustam and he says rustam can you just go and help out my buddy he really needs some help on his fight so he sends his son and when rustam gets to the mesogatai encampment it turns out there was a big contest being held between all of the best warriors and apparently if you could catch Tamiris in the contest, then you got to marry her. And it also turns out that Tamiris is one of the best writers in the entire tribe. So it was not an easy feat. But this dude Rustam wins the contest and they marry, um, which is also good for the tribes and also kind of part of, I think, her father's ability to kind of unite them all, right? Is, is probably also partially because he was able to marry his, his hot, badass daughter. <laughs> <laughs> the iron daughter, yeah. And now, when her daddy dies, Tamiris inherits his power and becomes queen. Now, it didn't happen completely smoothly. A bunch of the smaller tribal leaders got their panties in a bunch over the fact that she was a woman and they try to overthrow her, but ultimately they are not successful and she is the queen. And she is particularly known for her courage, her valor, and her devotion to her people. Now, at some point, and this is, you know, history, like I said, there's like not a lot of history facts before the biggest thing here. So at some point, Rustam dies. Literally, no one says why or how. They just say that She's a widow. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And a certain Cyrus II takes note and sees an opportunity. Now, Cyrus II is also called Cyrus the Great and Cyrus the Elder. And he is known in history as the man who basically creates the first Persian empire, which is also called the Achaemenid Empire. So he did a crazy amount of conquering until he pwned the whole territory from the Balkans all the way to the Indus Valley. Uh, And apparently for a hot second... You know, he was hungry to conquer. He wanted to keep conquering. He was thinking about going into Egypt. But at this time, Pharaoh uh, Amasis was uh, the pharaoh, and he was pretty well organized. And Cyrus was like, oh, I don't know. That fight might be a little tougher than it than we think it will. Maybe I ought to go to, like, the northeast side of the kingdom and lock it down there. And who is the leader on that border? Well, it's our widowed Queen Tamiris. Mm-hmm. He gets wind that she's a widow and he sends her a message and he's like, hey, girl, I'm so powerful and you're so powerful. Let's be powerful together. Just marry me. And uh, one of the sources, one of the articles I said found that he, quote, praised her beauty and intelligence and proposed her so she would save her people from the bloody war. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. 
But at this point, <laughs> Tamiris has lived through already a lifetime of patriarchal and battlefield bullshit. Mm-hmm. And she knows he's just trying to amass power and take her kingdom. And she's like, I am not going to marry you. <laughs> and Cyrus is naturally enraged at her refusal. How could she do this to him? So he's like, okay, well, I tried to be diplomatic, but now I'm coming for you. (laughs) He preps his army for war and he marches them to the Araxes River, which is this big river, basically, that stands between his land and Tamiris's. And he literally starts building a bridge. He's like, I'm going to build this big bridge so my army can go across it and attack her and get her lands. I'm just going to quote Herodotus for this next part. Herodotus says, quote, while the Persian leader was occupied in these labors, the building of the bridge, uh, Tamiris sent a herald to him who said, King of the Medes, cease to press this enterprise, for you cannot know if what you are doing will be of real advantage to you. Be content to rule in peace your own kingdom and bear to see us reign over the countries that are ours to govern. As However, I know you will not choose to hearken to this council, since there is nothing you less desirous than peace and quietness. Come now, if you are so mightily desirous of meeting the Mazakatai in arms. Leave your useless toil of bridge-making. Let us retire three days' march from the riverbank, and do you come across with your soldiers? Or, if you like better to give us battle on your side of the stream, retire yourselves an equal distance." Cyrus, on this offer, called together the chiefs of the Persians and laid the matter before them, requesting them to advise him what he should do. All the votes were in favor of his letting Tamiris cross the stream and giving battle on Persian ground, end quote. But apparently there's this one dude who is a former enemy of Cyrus has now turned his best bro advisor, Croesus. And Croesus is like, nah, 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 nah. I got a better plan. And he says to Cyrus, quote, Now, concerning for the matter at hand, my judgment runs counter to the judgment of your other counselors. For if you agree to give the enemy entrance to your country, consider what risk is run. Lose the battle, and therewith your whole kingdom is lost. For assuredly the Masagatai, if they win the fight, will not return to their homes, but will push forward against the states of your empire. Or, if you win the battle, why then you win far less than if you are across the stream." where you might follow up your victory. For against your loss, if they defeat you on your own ground, must be set theirs in like case. Rout their army on the other side of the river, and you may push it once into the heart of their country. Moreover, were it not disgrace intolerable for you, Cyrus, son of Cambyses, to retire before and yield ground to a woman? My counsel, therefore, is that we cross the stream and pushing forward as they shall fall back and then seek to get the best of them by stratagem. You never cross the streams. <laughs> I am told they are unacquainted with good things on which Persians live and have never tasted the great delights of life. Let us then prepare a feast for them in our camp. Let sheep be slaughtered without stint and the wine cups be full of noble liquor, and let all manner of dishes be prepared. Then leaving behind our worst troops, let us fall back towards the river. Unless I very much mistake, when they see the good fare set out, they will forget all else and fall too. Then it will remain for us to do our parts manfully. (laughs) End quote. He thinks they're just going to fall for this dumb plan. Well, Cyrus is like, oh shit, bro, that's good. Okay, let's do that. So bros be bros, right? 
So they cross the river, and he sets up a little camp, and he has them cook this big feast, and he leaves all his shittiest soldiers there, like the ones that nobody picks in kickball, are like left <laughs> to, to man this feast, and the rest of them fall back towards the river. Unfortunately, Croesus seemed to have been correct in his assumption. And, and as you may recall, I mentioned earlier in Herodotus' description, Tamiris and her people are avid milk drinkers. Mm-hmm. They're like a commercial mm-hmm. for the Got Milk campaign. Oh, yeah. They're not used to wine. They don't have a lot of grapes. They don't grow the grapes. They don't give a shit about the grapes. So when Tamiris' son, who also was named Sparga Pisces, named for his the dad, method. I'm guessing, <laughs> <laughs> um, him and his guys come across, they, they see the guys come in and set up camp, and they go in. They slaughter the soldiers because the soldiers are obviously terrible at fighting. They're the worst ones. And they look around and they're like, holy shit, look at all this food. And they sit down and they eat and they drink their fill. But they are not used to the drinking and they get fucking wasted. And they fall into a drunken sleep and Cyrus's army comes back, leading way into the camp. They charge in. The drunk, sleepy mess is like unable to pull his shit together. And Cyrus is able to kill or capture basically the entire group, including Tamiris' son, Spagarpithesis. And so they've got him as prisoner. They don't kill him, but they've destroyed. It was like about a third of their army, about of Tamiris' army was part of this initial battle. So Tamiris hears about this calamity and she's like, fuck. She sends a messenger straight away over to Cyrus and she says, quote, you bloodthirsty Cyrus, pride not yourself on this poor success. It was the grape juice, which when you drink it makes you so mad. And as you swallow it down, brings up to your lips such bold and wicked words. It was this poison by which you ensnared my child and so overcame him, not in fair open fight. Now hear what I advise and be sure I advise you for your good. Restore my son to me and get you from the land unharmed, triumphant over a third part of the host of the Magasatai. Refuse, and I swear by the sun, the sovereign lord of the Masagatai, bloodthirsty as you are, I will give you your fill of blood. That's a promise right there. And Cyrus is like, whatever. And he like doesn't even reply because he doesn't think anything of her army and their capability. He's conquered... All of Asia. Something you can never do even in risk. Yeah, <laughs> claim no. Risk. You it's true. You cannot get those seven armies. You and he's done. And so he's got this huge ego and he's like, whatever, I'm not even going to deign her with a fucking reply. And he just kind of goes about his business and he stays. He does not withdraw. Now, Spaga Pisces, Demiris' son, meanwhile, is fucking humiliated. And he knows that Cyrus is going to try to use him as a bargaining chip to take advantage of his mom. Somehow in the midst of all of this, and there's like varied versions in the different articles I found that describe how he did this, but he's somehow able to get his hands on a knife and he commits suicide. Some, Some of the articles were like, oh, he begs Cyrus to let him do it. Or, oh, he begs Cyrus to let him go and then he gets a knife and then he doesn't. But either way, they're, they're pretty uniform in saying that he kills himself and not that he was killed by Cyrus. So I, I could be either way though, to be honest with you. When I, read those, when I read those varied versions, I'm like, maybe they killed him, maybe he killed himself. Regardless of how exactly it happens, which we don't know, Tamiris learns of his death and she's like, fucking bring it you coward at this point she's like called in all the favors she's brought all her soldiers in and they dive into round two in what becomes a brutal battle and apparently uh herodotus is like 
shook by the accounts of this battle. He describes it thus, quote, Of all the combats in which the barbarians have engaged among themselves, I reckon this to have been the fiercest. The following, as I understand, was the manner of it. First, the two armies stood apart and shot their arrows at each other. Then, when their quivers were empty, they closed and fought hand to hand with lances and daggers. And thus they continued fighting for a length of time, neither choosing to give ground. End quote. And ultimately, they're on her land. This is Tamiris' land. And they know all of the land way better than Cyrus does and his idiot army. And so they're able to ultimately block off all of the avenues of escape for Cyrus. And his army is destroyed. And Cyrus himself is killed in the fight. How does it feel to cross paths with the wrong woman, son? Mm-hmm. So it's not quite the end because the best part of the story is, is next here. So Tamiris has won, but she's not finished. She she has all of her soldiers scour the battlefield to find Cyrus' corpse. And so, you know, it was a relatively big battlefield. So they go through, they're going through all these dead bodies to find his body. And they bring it to her. And she saws off his head. And she fills a wineskin with human blood. And she takes the severed head and she dips it into the blood. And she says, quote, I live and have conquered you in fight. And yet by you, I am ruined. And you took my son with guile, but thus I make good my threat and give you your fill of blood. Drops the mic. (laughs) Now, if you were to do a Google search of Cyrus II and how he died, you're going to read like a bunch of different accounts. And they're all going to say, oh, like, oh, he didn't, he died somewhere else a later year. He didn't die that way. He died this way. And all I have to say about this audience is that there's another quote from Herodotus, quote, of the many different accounts which are given of the death of Cyrus, this, which I have followed, appears to me the most worthy of credit. Bam! Yeah, it's a good story. I think it's a great story. <laughs> it's a it's a it's a really great like underdog tale, too, you know, because you got this giant empire with all the power on this little group, you know, tribal group. And they punch him in the face. Yeah, it's like, I feel like this repeats in other parts of the world and with other empires, but your ego at some point as ruler, as emperor, as whatever gets so huge and you don't quite know what you're going up against. And then you fuck it up. (laughs) You know, as you're telling me that story, I'm thinking like they don't really learn their lesson either because like later on, Darius comes about like, you know, after a little after Cyrus a bit, and then they go in and they try to take Scythia, and the, you know what the Scythians do? They burn everything as the Greek as the Persian army advances because they're like, we're nomads, we don't need any of this. And then the the <laughs> Persians are so starved out that they decide to give up and then go after Greece, which starts the whole three hundred <laughs> and all that stuff. So they don't learn; they don't really learn their lesson from this. It's it's a mystery, and I did like I feel like all the articles that I was reading through for this episode everyone was like yeah like cyrus didn't have to go there and do that like he had a ton of land yeah and like i i just like love that quote from like halfway through when she writes him and is like here's what you really should do but i know you won't because you cannot be satisfied with peace yeah (laughs) and like she like hits it on the head it's like dude just fucking leave what are you doing man yeah Leave us alone. You don't know what you're doing. <laughs> She's a, a, like a great example of, of a warrior queen who, you know, really comes into her own and like, like Hatshepsut, you know, like, except Hatshepsut's super peaceful. 
but she she's the opposite she grabs her the warlike strength of her tribe and just she takes out the biggest bully on the playground she truly does like cyrus is a huge bully and sounds like a huge asshole (laughs) (laughs) but uh that is tamiris what uh drew you to her and what was your um like how did you discover her actually i just was googling badass ancient broads because I knew I wanted to talk an ancient one with you. And I was looking through it. And I've been thinking about doing like Boudicca and a few others for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's a great one too. Well, I'll do her someday. But then um, Tamiris to, to came up in the list and I was like, this is perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I, and I, I really like her, I think, also because, I mean, I don't know what happens to her after that. But, you know, if that's where her story ends, you kind of get this cool happy ending of you know there's this badass woman who rose up and like defeated the power structure and then got to be like peace Herodotus doesn't write any more about her after that that fact so like and and he was kind of really the the dominant historical voice of that time you know the only other thing i want to i want to add in here at the end is is just my own personal commentary and i'm gonna put i'm gonna load the pictures and stuff of what what shows up when you google um to myron but what shows up when you Google her is all of these fucking Renaissance paintings of her. She's this like wealthy white woman with like chubby cheeks and a little breastplate. And she's like staring lovingly at the head of Cyrus in a pool of blood. I have never gotten so mad before. Cause I'm like, okay, she didn't look like that. <laughs> she's fucking, she's in that, like she, that, that Scythian, Afghani, Turkmenistan, like that, that, that part of the world. So she's going to have probably darker hair and like a more of like a, like a tanned color of skin. And she was a fucking warrior who rode horses and swung battle axes and cut off the head. She's not like this, like grape eating sit on the divan kind of like just like when i yeah. look at the paintings of her i just like was i was laughing my ass off but i also was really simultaneously mad that like renaissance painters could are so i know this is true for everything like all the pictures of jesus and things like that that they've done you know where he looks like a, you know a white man and you're like what the fuck this is a badass woman from north central asia i think one of the names of the Magasatai tribe later is the Huns. Like, I think that they evolve. That was like another name for, like, you know, that's what we're, that's who we're talking about here. Like, (laughs) like, yeah, I feel like these guys, these, these painters were like reading, reading, reading Herodotus and be like, you know, and then drawing to their own standard at the age. Cause they'd probably never had no idea. It's like almost like in Shakespeare's work where he's like, Oh yeah, the coast of Bohemia. And then you're like, well, wait, Bohemia doesn't have any coasts, you know. (laughs) There's just, yeah, so much stuff where like people are imagining what these things might have looked like without really having any, like the context we have today. There's like this obsession, you know, of that time period of like the virginity and the niceness of Mm -hmm. women. And we're Mm -hmm. talking about a woman who wreaked havoc. Yeah. And killed one of the leaders of, it's just like, how could you paint her like that? Yeah. Anyway, well, Steve, thank you so much for joining me today. It has been thank such you. a pleasure to spend time with you. It has. It has been a, a, a delight. Thank you for having me on the show. You're fantastic. You're a great guest. I'm sure that we're going to have you back sometime. Woo! I got, there's plenty of broads from history that, you know, like there's just, there's, there's a lot. There's a lot of people that need to be covered. Yeah. 
That's because we just don't learn about them in, in history, but really they actually existed. They did. They did. So that's the point of this podcast. Broads, you should know. I love it. To learn more about Tamiris, see some artwork of her, and see some of those cool quotes, head on over to broadsyoushouldknow.com. While you're there, you should click on over to the About page and learn more about Steve Townsend. We've got his picture and bio, links to his work and social media. Speaking of social media, we're on Facebook and Instagram at Broads You Should Know and Twitter at BYSK Podcast. To suggest a broad, fill out the form on our website or email us at broadsyoushouldknow at gmail.com. If you're a fan of this podcast, then share us with your friends and family and also leave us a review. Those things really help new listeners to find us. Broads You Should Know is produced by me, Sarah Gorski, and edited by Chloe Skye with original music by Darren Callahan. Finally, if you really enjoyed the story about Tamiris, then you're going to like some of our other ancient warrior broads. You should check out Cthulhuun Khan, Olga of Kiev, and Vishpala. See you next week for another Broad You Should Know.